0: Lesson 6 for November 1-7 to Faith That Works Sabbath Afternoon, November 1 Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have given each of us life and strength and health in varying measures. But we know that You're there to be for us at all times. And as we open Your Word this week, we pray Your Holy Spirit will guide us May the lesson this week be one that will draw us not only closer to you, but into a, a life of service for others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is James chapter 2, verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Let's read that again, James two twenty-six. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. He was a successful doctor and an elder in a high-profile church of several hundred members. He was a major giver to the church's big projects, and his generosity encouraged others to be more sacrificial. The doctor was also a great preacher. When the pastor was gone, he spoke and everyone looked forward to his messages, which were theologically deep, heartfelt and spiritual. Then one day the truth came out. The doctor's absence at church the previous Sabbath had not been because he was on vacation, as many had thought. No, he was found dead in his beachfront condominium from an overdose of recreational narcotics. Worse was the shocking revelation that in his bedroom were dozens of pornographic videos and magazines. The church was devastated, especially the young people who had looked up to him as a role model. Though we must leave all judgment in God's hands, the doctor's actions certainly call into question the reality of his faith. The point? Though we are saved by faith, we cannot separate faith and works in the life of a Christian, a crucial but often misunderstood truth expounded upon in the book of James. Sunday, November 2, Dead Faith. James 2, verse 14 reads, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? The question is, how do we understand this verse in the context of salvation by faith alone? Let's read James chapter 2, verses 15-15 to 17, and we'll compare it with Romans three twenty-seven and 28, and Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. James 2, beginning at verse 15, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And Romans 3, verses 27 and 28, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works. No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone... Should boast faith without works, James two fifteen and sixteen, as we read, gives a vivid illustration of this kind of phony faith, as we've already seen, obedience in the book of James is relational, so how do we relate to a brother or sister in the church who is in need? Words are not enough; we cannot simply say. Go in peace, God will provide, when God has provided us the means to help that brother or sister. Of course, needs can be endless, and we cannot meet them all. But there is a principle called the power of one. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, and we can help others one person at a time. In fact, that is how Jesus usually worked. In Mark chapter 5, verses 22 to 34, a man whose daughter was dying appealed to him for help. On the way, a woman approached from behind and touched Jesus' garment. After the healing, Jesus could have gone on and the woman would have left rejoicing. But Jesus knew that she needed more than physical healing. So he stopped and took the time so that she could learn to be a witness for Jesus, to share as well as to receive. Then he said the same words we have in James 2.16, Go in peace. But unlike the words in James, in this case, they actually meant something. When we recognize a need but do nothing about it, we have missed an opportunity of exercising faith. By doing so, our faith gets a little weaker and a little deader. This is because faith without works dies. James describes it even more starkly. Faith is dead already. If it were alive, the works would be there. If they are not, what good is it? At the end of verse 14, James asks a question about this kind of workless and worthless faith. It comes across far more strongly in Greek than it does in most translations. The faith that cannot save him, can it? The answer James expects us to give is clearly no. And so to finish today, how can we learn to better express our faith through our works while protecting ourselves from the deception that our works save us? Sunday, November 3, Saving Faith Question. Read James, chapter 2, verse 18. What is the main point James is making, and how do we show our faith by our works? James two eighteen. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. James used a common rhetorical technique whereby a potential objector comes forward. In this case, the objector tries to drive a wedge between faith and works by suggesting that as long as a person has one or the other, he or she is fine. But the whole point James is trying to make is that Christians cannot hope to be saved by faith if there are no corresponding works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. The key point is that not just any faith will save. Genuine faith, saving faith, is characterized by good works. Likewise, works are only good works if they spring from faith. Faith and works are inseparable, like two sides of a coin. One cannot exist without the other. Also, like a coin... One side is the head and the other the tail. Faith comes first and then leads the way to corresponding works. Question. Consider Paul's attitude toward works in Ephesians 2.10, 1 Thessalonians one 1 Timothy 5.25 and Titus 2.14. Why are good works so important. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. And 1 Timothy five twenty five. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. And Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Paul was not against good works per se. He was against works as a means of salvation. We see in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, that Paul writes, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. In fact, Paul said, that those who rely on works of the law to be saved are under a curse because no one who tries to be saved by keeping the law actually succeeds in keeping it. Galatians 3:10 reads, "For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them." Obedience is possible, only through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Faith and Works, as a book written by Ellen White, page 20, if man cannot, by any of his good works, merit salvation, then it must be wholly of grace, received by man as a sinner because he receives and believes in Jesus. It is wholly a free gift. Justification by faith is placed beyond controversy. And all this controversy is ended as soon as the matter is settled that the merits of fallen man in his good works can never procure eternal life for him, end of quote. And so to finish today, why should the great news that we cannot work our way to heaven motivate us out of a love for God to do all the good works that we can? Tuesday, November four. The faith of demons. If works are absent, there is only one other way to prove the genuineness of one's faith: by orthodoxy. If I believe the right things, then I must have faith, right? Question. Read Second Corinthians four 2, 1 Timothy two four, James five nineteen and twenty, First Peter one twenty two, and 1 John three eighteen and nineteen. What do these verses tell us about how important knowing truth is? Well, first of all, we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, and First Timothy chapter two, four, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, and James five verses nineteen and twenty. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. And 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. There is no question that an intellectual knowledge of truth has its place, a very important place. Yet that knowledge, in and of itself, is not sufficient to prove that a person has saving faith. Question. What warning is given to us in James 2.19 about a false concept of what true faith is? You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble, James 2.19. The most fundamental statement of faith in the Old Testament is Deuteronomy four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Known as the Shema, because this is the Hebrew word it begins with, this verse neatly summarizes belief in one God. Every other biblical teaching flows from this cardinal truth. But even the demons believe this truth. In fact, they know it. And yet, what good does it do them? They tremble in God's presence, as they did also when confronted by Jesus and commanded by him to come out of their victims. As we read in Mark 3.11, And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, you are the Son of God. And Mark 5 7. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. An intellectual faith that has no effect on how we act is useless. In fact, it is the same faith that demons have demons who are actively at work to deceive us with false doctrines and lies. As with Israel at the time of Jesus, demons will encourage people to believe their deceptions based on their victims' desires to hold on to impure and unrighteous behavior. As it says in 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Faith must be manifested in our lives or else it is not saving faith. It is instead the faith of demons and such a faith won't save us any more than it will save them. Wednesday, November five, Abraham's Faith Question Read James chapter two, verses twenty one to twenty four, and compare it with Romans four one to five and verses twenty two to twenty four. How is the faith of Abraham described in these texts? And on what is justification based? Well, James two You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And then further on in Romans chapter 4 verses 1 to 5, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. And later in that chapter, Romans 4, verses 22 to 24, And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Interestingly, both James and Paul quote Genesis chapter 15 verse 6, but they seem to arrive at opposite conclusions. According to James, Abraham was justified by works. But Paul seems in Romans 4 2 to deny this possibility explicitly. In verse 24, he says, But also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. However, the immediate context of Romans 4 has to do with whether circumcision is necessary for justification, that is, whether Gentiles had to become Jews in order to be saved and that's what Romans chapter 3 verses 28 to 30 is about and that reads therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law or is he the God of the Jews only is he not also the God of the Gentiles Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Paul shows that Abraham's faith, not his work of being circumcised, was the basis of justification because Abraham believed even before he was circumcised. Abraham was circumcised later as an outward sign of his inward faith, Romans 4 verses 9 to 11. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised... But while uncircumcised, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. But works alone, even circumcision, are not sufficient for justification, because only those, as it says in verse 12, who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, will be justified. Is this emphasis really so different from that of James? Paul even goes on to use the same proof of Abraham's faith that James does. We'll look at Romans chapter 4, verses 17 to 21. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in flesh, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Abraham believed God could resurrect Isaac because he gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist that's verse 4 in the New American Standard Bible let's compare that with Hebrews chapter 11 verses 17 to 19 by faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac and he who had who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Paul also defines saving faith as being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform, Romans 4.21. In short, faith that trusts God to keep his promises and obediently relies on his word is saving faith. These works are not works of law, but works of faith, or as James puts it in James 2.22, Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? Many stress the importance of faith and works, but even this separates the two, at least to some extent. The true faith is, as it says in Galatians 5, 6, faith working through love. Good works are not just the outward sign of faith. They are an outworking of faith. Abraham's faith in the God who created all life motivated him to obey God in offering up his only son Isaac. According to James, it is by obedience that faith is made perfect. So, to finish today, what is your own experience with how works or the lack of thereof impact your faith? Thursday, November 6, the faith of Rahab. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? James 2:25. Question: Read Joshua chapter 2 verses 1 to 21. How do we understand this example of Rahab again in the context of salvation by faith alone? Beginning at verse 1 of Joshua chapter 2. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, "'Go view the land, especially Jericho.' So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, "'Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country.' So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, "'Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house.' "'for they have come to search out all the country.' "'Then the woman took the two men and hid them. "'So she said, "'Yes, the men came to me, "'but I did not know where they were from, "'and it happened as the gate was being shut "'when it was dark that the men went out. "'Where the men went I do not know. "'Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them.' "'But she had brought them up to the roof "'and hidden them with the stalks of flax "'which she had laid in order on the roof.' Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God, in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days, until the pursuers have returned. Afterward you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours which you have made us swear, unless, when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street... His blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, According to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window." According to Hebrews 11 verse 31, the inhabitants of Jericho did not believe. Most modern translations describe them as being disobedient. The inhabitants of Jericho knew about Israel's signal victories over the Midianites and the Amorites. So they were well aware of the power of Israel's God. God's judgment on Israel at Baal Peor taught the people in Jericho of his holiness, as well as his abhorrence of idolatry and immorality. Ellen White says in this sentence to follow in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 492 All these events were known to the inhabitants of Jericho, and there were many who shared Rahab's conviction, though they refused to obey it. Rahab was not saved because of her dishonesty, but in the spite of it. She believed in the true God, and she acted on that faith by protecting the spies that Joshua sent out. There were also conditions. She obeyed the messenger's direction to hang the scarlet cord out her window, which was reminiscent of the blood sprinkled around the doorposts of the Israelite homes at the time of their Passover deliverance. While far from perfect... Rahab's life is a model of faith that shows the reality of God's forgiveness and grace for everyone, willing to step out in faith and to trust God with the results. Question, read James chapter 2 verse 26. How does this text summarize the relationship between faith and works? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Just as the body is only a corpse without the breath of life, so faith without works is dead. In addition, without real faith, any obedience we might try to render would only amount to dead works, as it says in Hebrews six one. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith, Toward God, and also in Hebrews nine fourteen, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God, which is meaningless in the sight of God? So, to finish today, a harlot saved by faith. If that were the only example of salvation by faith we had. What false conclusions could we draw from it? Nevertheless, what hope can you take from her story for yourself? Friday, November 7. From Testimonies to Southern Africa, page 26, I read When self is put entirely away, then you can obtain a new and rich experience. You will discern your own imperfections as you lie low at the foot of the cross, and, as you view the perfections of Christ, self will sink into insignificance. Christ will appear to the discerning eye the perfection of attractive loveliness. Then his mould will be upon mind and heart and will be revealed in the character. The impress of the divine mind should be made upon the heart and manifested in the life. Come to Jesus in your need, pray in living faith, hold fast to the hand of divine power, believe, only believe, and you will see the salvation of God. If you will be taught, God will teach you. If you will be led, he will lead you to fountains of living waters. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. Read over James chapter 2 in one quick sitting. What is the essential message there for those who trust only in the merits of Christ's righteousness for their salvation? 2. Some argue that James talks about faith and works without reference to Paul and that we should interpret James on his own terms. What's wrong with that kind of thinking? Why especially in this case is it important to keep in mind what other texts say about faith and works? In fact, in the heat of the Protestant Reformation, Catholic apologists often ran to the book of James to defend the Roman Church against the Protestants. Why does this show us how important it is to build our doctrines on all the text we have at our disposal? 3. It is often said that faith and work should be kept in balance. In light of this lesson, do you agree with that statement? Discuss your answer with others in the class. And 4. Why do we find no mention in James, or the rest of the New Testament, of Abraham's failure of faith in connection with Ishmael, or about Rahab's lying? What does this fact teach us about what it means to be covered by Christ's righteousness? Inside story. Our mission story this week is titled, By Faith I See. I was born into a poor family in a town north of Medellin in Colombia. Our poverty carved out a hard life for us. Our town has no adequate water supply, no electricity, no telephone. Our houses are made of mud pressed over bamboo poles because we have no other building materials. When travellers pass by, they wonder how we stay alive. Everyone looks hungry, even the dogs are skin and bone. My village knows only hunger, hard work, sickness and disease. When I was little, I played in the hills around our home. When I was eleven, I began to help and work with the family. We harvested sweet potatoes and plantains, a type of banana. I also herded cows. One year a sickness spread throughout our village. It was so contagious that doctors wouldn't come to treat us. I became sick but recovered. However, I noticed a change in my vision. Everything looked yellow, then became blurry. Finally, I lost my sight completely. Sounds became my way of seeing. I listened to my uncle's battery-powered television and learned that life wasn't so hard in other places. That reality made me even more miserable. I hated my life of trouble and pain. Fortunately, my mother was a Seventh-day Adventist, and her faith was strong. As I gradually lost my vision, her faith became my strength. She taught me to trust God. At age 15, two years after I became blind, I was baptised. I enrolled in a school for blind students for six months and then returned to my regular school. It took me longer to finish my studies, but I kept at it. During the summer, I worked as a literature evangelist. My cousin guided me from door to door and I talked to the people about the hope they could find in Jesus. I chose to work in the poor neighborhoods because I thought there would be many people who needed God and hope. They did want my books, and they were glad to know that they were helping me too. When I was younger, I was angry and bitter because of my family's poverty. Then, when I became blind, I became more angry and bitter and wondered why all these bad things were happening to me. Several doctors examined my eyes, and I have even had surgery, but they could not restore my sight. Now I see by faith. When I learned to trust God, I realized that He does not guarantee an easy life, but He does promise to walk with us during our earthly life, and if we are faithful, He will guarantee an eternal life. Several people have asked to study the Bible with me. They want to get to know Jesus and share His power, just as I have. If it takes my blindness to win others to Jesus that I want to be a good example so that others may see Jesus through my faith. And this story was not actually written by this young man, because it was told to Enoch Iglesias by Victor Vergara. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful.